We're back. Shame on you. The masks are a joke. Wyandotte County, you made this happen. In less than 30 minutes, we take you through the week's most impactful stories and connect the dots on some of the big news we missed while we were raising cash during our winter fundraising drive. It's three weeks in review for the price of one. Next. Week in Review is made possible through the generous support of AARP Kansas City, Dave and Jamie Cummings, Bob and Marlise Gorley, the Courtney S. Turner Charitable Trust, John H. Mize and Bank of America N.A. co-trustees, and by viewers like you. Thank you. Hello, I'm Nick Haynes. Thrilled to bets you're back with us. Thank you for inviting us into your home to lift the hood on some of the Metro's biggest news headlines and try to make sense of those stories we're told are important but just seem kind of boring. We have your back on our journey this week is going, going, but still not quite gone from Channel 9, Michael Mahoney, from KCUR News, Lisa Rodriguez, tracking business and development stories at City Scene KC, Kevin Collison, and from the digital and print pages of your Kansas City star, Dave Helling. Remember, we haven't had a show for a few weeks, but while we were gone, all hell was breaking loose at Kansas City Police Headquarters. Lots of conflicting stories over Chief Rick Smith. Was he quitting, retiring? Was he being pushed out? And when was he going to go? March? April? After the budget? August? never. This week, the Board of Police Commissioners meet in their first scheduled meeting since all that fuss. Did everything calm down? Rick Smith should be walked out of this building right now. Yeah. Yeah. Shame on you! Okay, perhaps not, but we did get any clarity, though, Michael Mahoney, on the police chief's future this week. Did we get a date for when he's going to depart, or is still there a push going on right now to get him out of there right away? We don't have a date. I suspect uh, the language that uh, the um, city hall and the police department uses at the end of the budget cycle. Well, the budget cycle actually ends on May 1st when the new budget is adopted, but the budget cycle wrapped up earlier than that, sometime in March or, or early April. Uh, and so that may be the date as far as any sort of a coordinated push to uh, to remove him before then. I don't think their vote, I'm pretty sure the votes are not there. Dave, now that Chief uh, Rick Smith is on his way out, the mayor voted this week for $2.6 million in police officer pay raises. Some people looking at and saying, well, was this really about just getting the police chief out and it wasn't really about the money after all? Oh, no, it's all about the money, uh, Nick. And in fact, that's why Chief Smith, I think, is sticking around until the, the end of the budget cycle because there is going to be an enormous push next year from some council members to limit police spending to 20% of the general revenue fund, which is the language in uh, the state law, and then anything above that 20% to be negotiated with the police department. So that battle is going to be joined in January and February, and that's why Rick Smith wants to stick around. And to add on to this, there's another dynamic in this. In the state legislature, Tony Lutkemeyer, state senator from uh, Platte County, who was the chair of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and some representatives in the House in Jefferson City are pre-filing bills so that they can take up the measure of increasing the obligation from the city to the Kansas City Police Department from 20% to 25% with an aim of trying to get it signed by the governor so early that it would be in effect before the budget uh, for the police department is settled for 2020. And, and, and that's another element on it. Yeah. And is there the an even discussions. bigger clash though, uh, Lisa, over who are we gonna pick now as the next police chief? And I was just interested in some of, several black ministers have already come out with a checklist. Uh, the next chief they say must come from out of state. 
and that includes Kansas. Every resume from within the current department needs to be rejected. They want the next police chief to be someone who, quote, doesn't take a guns and handcuffs approach. Is anyone going to be acceptable? I think there's an extremely high bar for whoever comes in um, as, as the next head of this police department. Ultimately, though, the group that decides that is the Board of Police Commissioner. The group that decides how that process will go is that police board. I assume there will be a national search. I assume there may be some internal candidates as well. And I think for an internal candidate, that bar, that threshold will be even higher. I mean, amidst all of this back and forth over the police budget, the fight for the next police chief is also going to get a lot of attention. A lot of voices will be weighing in here. But ultimately, the decision rests with the five members of the police board, four of which are appointed by the governor. And if there was conflict right now over the current police chief and the money, can you imagine, Kevin Collison, what would happen then if the police board decides to pick an internal candidate with all of this pressure to find an outsider? You know, Nick, it, it would be, again, another huge indication of what a crazy system Kansas City is under where our citizens do not have control through their elected representatives of their own police department that they're dropping a quarter billion dollars plus a year in taxes for it just you know we got legislators from uh, Excelsior Springs and Parkville talking about how Kansas City should run their police department I would love to see how the folks in those communities would feel if suddenly the Kansas City Council decided to dictate how they spend their money and how they use. But again, this all goes back to how completely undemocratic and unrepresentable uh, it is with how our police department operates in Kansas City. Dave. And just a quick statement. Uh, uh, Lisa is right. Four members of the five-person board are appointed by the governor. One of those members currently is serving on an expired term, and another member hasn't been confirmed by the state Senate yet. That further complicates this issue. Around holiday time, a lot of decisions are made when people are paying less attention. Companies make big announcements of layoffs. CEOs are shown the door, and our elected leaders sneak in some votes when the public has its focus elsewhere. As we were trying to raise some green last week, the Kansas City Council was greenlighting millions in new tax incentives to help an insurance company move less than a mile up the road and build a splashy new glass office tower next to Crown Center. Kevin Collison, there were gasps of outrage and clutching of pearls that the city could possibly be doling out money to a wealthy company already located in the city. Why then this big yes vote on giving more than $7 million to Fidelity uh, Security Life to, to go basically to one of the best areas of the city now? Well, Nick, I'm going to be a bit of a contrarian here. Uh, I do understand the public outrage, but if it's built, it will still generate $8 million more in new property tax revenue than if that site was left untouched. On the other hand, totally understand the optics of a firm that's located only a few blocks away from here, getting offered help to move to what looks pretty much a greenfield site. I mean, this is part of the Crown Center Master Plan. That land has been sitting there for a good 30 years. Uh, it is a little hard to understand because generally incentives are offered to help with uh, much more difficult sites develop. And again, in this particular situation, and it's rightfully pointed out by critics that a lot of those incentives are going to go to a parking garage. And I'm not sure who of the opponents, but it was certainly picked up by the city council, found out that there's an awful lot of uh, empty parking spots in existing garages at Crown Center. I mean, there are definitely arguments to be made. But I think the incentive thing 
oftentimes gets totally distorted because of the way people discuss it. When he was running for mayor, candidate Quinton Lucas uh, said, we, quote, need to stop giving away the whole farm. We need to, quote, severely limit the incentives available downtown. The greatest incentive should only be available, he said, in the east side or in severely economically distressed parts of the city. So how is it from moving from basically 31st and Broadway uh, to Crown Center uh, how does that fit that criteria that the, the candidate Quinton Lucas established when he was running for mayor? I would argue that it that it doesn't fit the criteria that candidate <laughs> Lucas was talking about uh, when when he gave that interview. And I remember I remember those comments very well. We've you know we've seen the city council and we've seen the mayor and leadership at city hall talk about curbing the use of tax incentives downtown, but we have not quite seen that in action yet. And, and you know, Kevin talked about empty, um, empty parking garages in the area. I would argue there's, there's a lot of empty office space downtown yeah, as yes. well. Yeah, well, let's think about that Waddell and Reed building downtown. Waddell and Reed was going to move from Overland Park downtown, beautiful new building. They decide not to do it. They're bought by an Australian firm. Why wouldn't, they, why wouldn't the Fidelity Insurance Company move there? It's a good question, uh, but let's just consider the fact that this Watt Ellen Reed building was custom built for Watt Ellen Reed, which eventually got bought by an Australian company. It's on the market for whatever reasons, and I don't know what was going on in the minds of Fidelity Security Life Insurance about what their headquarters needs were. That just was not a piece of real estate that they were interested in. But we're also seeing, Dave, all across the country, we have major corporations that are just offloading their um, real estate. They're offloading all of their office buildings, including Cerner here in town that's been selling off campuses. This seems an odd mix at this point in time where you're building a brand new huge building during this time when many companies are deciding employees can work from home. The whole nature of office work is changing dramatically, uh, Nick. And so at least uh, on some level, people will have to rethink these decisions. But let's just be honest. I've covered the city council for 30 years, more than 30 years. Members always have a very difficult time voting against these deals. They just do. There's one or two that they've rejected. The new uh, uh, a hotel near the Performing Arts Center, they said no to that. But by and large, uh, endorsing big corporate deals like this is, is uh, routine for the city council at a time when, the star, as the star pointed out this week, housing on the east side remains a major challenge. Uh, the optics, as some of our panelists have suggested here, are very poor indeed. You know, we're still in a metropolitan area where uh, this company could easily have moved over to Johnson County. And in fact, uh, Lee Barnes, the councilman who heads the committee, specifically mentioned a concern about losing a productive 300-employee company. Uh, you know, you just have to go out to I-435 and see all the new office development going on in southern Johnson County to know that there's a tremendous amount of competition still in this city for good jobs. Uh, no local presidential visits to report on this week, but there was an inauguration in Wyandotte County. History was being made as Tyrone Garner was officially sworn in as the first black mayor of Kansas City, Kansas. Wyandotte County, you made this happen. I love Wyandotte County, but I value people even more. I'm committed to always putting you, the people of Wyandotte County, first. That's my job. All right, Michael, but did we learn anything about what he attempts to prioritize as the first things he wants to change in Wyandotte County? Not really. The things that he just spoke about in his inaugural uh, speech were a, a lot of the same themes that he campaigned on uh, to win the office, that uh, he, he wants a top-to-bottom look, a review 
of uh, how the unified government works. He wants a top-to-bottom review of how the Board of Public Utilities works. He wants to try and engage uh, more neighborhoods in the development of, uh, of KCK in Wyandotte County. And he also wa- uh, wants to see what he can do in terms of some economic revitalization on the city's northeast side. Those did, are all things that he campaigned on. Did you get a sense, Dave, as to what he would do differently than David Alvey and his approach to the issues being different than what his predecessor, David Alvey, did? Well, already they're taking another look, uh, Nick, at the mask mandates in Wyandotte County and the whole COVID response protocols over there. That's a change from uh, David Alvey. And I do think that the pressure for uh, Tyrone Garner to take a close look at the police department will only grow. The grand jury is still looking at things over there. The FBI, he's a former member of the department. I think that will be job one. And that's where most of the pressure will be in the early days of his administration. While we were off the air raising cash over the last few weeks, we learned that Kansas City legend Buck O'Neill would finally win entry to the Major League Baseball Hall of Fame. The mayor says this is the equivalent of a local team winning the World Series or a Super Bowl. So how should we celebrate? The mayor says a citywide party is in order, but a new way to honor O'Neill has surfaced. How about halting plans to demolish the old Buck O'Neill Bridge and turn it into an elevated park with spectacular views of the downtown skyline, not unlike the Highline Park in New York. Kevin, you say the proposal is now considered, quote, a top priority at City Hall, but is it now higher on the list than expanding the streetcar east to west, higher on the list than finding affordable homes for people? Uh, Nick, it it was an interesting thing. Last week, uh, Councilman Eric Bunch and the City Planning Department held a virtual lunch meeting to 75 people and at which Eric Bunch said, this is a top priority by the council and by the mayor. So it kind of caught me a little off guard because it is an enormously expensive endeavor. It's a great idea, but there's so many questions. MoDOT is leaving that bridge behind. They will have nothing to do with owning or operating it. And to build a park and to maintain that bridge is at least a $50 million price ticket, according to preliminary estimates from City Hall. And that does not include who would own and operate this thing and where the money would come for ongoing operations. Thursday on KCUR, Steve Crafty up-to-date show, Brian Platt, city manager, was asked specifically about that quote that Kevin just uh, referred to, a top priority. And uh, Platt said, I took notes on it, absolutely, it is one of our top priorities. Now, whether or not this is the best way to honor Buck O'Neill beyond the uh, uh, the bridge that they're, they're building, I'm not sure it is. But I'm sure that uh, the lure of this is the fact that there are billions of dollars literally coming to Missouri for infrastructure uh, improvements and repairs. The, the, the lure of the money uh, may be as important here as uh, honoring uh, Buck O'Neill, who's a... Uh, uh, induction of the Hall of Fame was way overdue. But yeah. but you could put up a, a statue to him outside of City Hall for a few thousand bucks, uh, Lisa. Um, 50 million for a park. We may love Buck O'Neill, but can we do it a little more cheaply? Far, far be it for me to assign a monetary value for our love <laughs> of Buck O'Neill. But, but I think, you know, Michael's right. The lure of these federal infrastructure dollars has, has city leaders thinking and dreaming up these big projects. But when it comes down to it, I think the, there will be a mix of maybe one or two flashier projects, but a lot of it is going to be more mundane streets but, but, housing. But, but Dave, we also have, for instance, not just the uh, turning the Buck O'Neill Bridge into an elevated park, however nice that would be. You had KCK recently saying they wanted to put an aerial gondola connecting their downtown <laughs> to Kansas City, Missouri. Is this what Congress had in mind? 
when they green-lighted all of these billions of dollars in infrastructure money, and is there going to be backlash to this? Yes, of course there will be backlash. And no, this isn't what they had in mind. And you can imagine the headlines across the nation if Kansas City uh, spends a lot of federal money to put a park over a bridge or to cover the downtown loop, either on the north side or the south side. That's been talked about in terms of federal money as well. Uh, you know, I, I think what you'll hear if you talk to enough people at City Hall is, look, let's keep our eye on the ball, uh, to quote something that Buck O'Neill might say, and make sure that we spend this money for needed projects and not for things that are nice to have but not are not essentials in the community. I purposely didn't start the show, by the way, talking about COVID. I know a cross-section of our audience has grown of the topic, but with some school districts now ending the fall semester early because so many staff and students are sick and deaths and hospitalizations on the rise in our metro, can we expect another wave of COVID restrictions? We got an answer to that question this week in Jackson County, where Executive Frank White begged the legislature to reinstate the county's mask mandate. It was voted down. I feel like this time of year there's always more illnesses, so that's going to happen no matter what. The masks are a joke. We've crossed the line of being helpful. We're we've gone into the, the element where they've tried to control our lives. And that's basically what people are opposed against today. Jackson County has been one of the most COVID-conscious parts of our metro. If it can't pass there, does that tell us it's going to be tough to reinstate COVID restrictions anywhere in the metro, Michael? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, this is the second time they have tried, uh, tried to do it. The uh, White administration, the health uh, county health department, tried to set the table. They presented the facts that showed an increase in the growth of COVID in the area uh, just in uh, the last uh, five to six weeks. They tried to uh, set the table and say this is necessary through January the 12th, but there is simply not the appetite to do that, even though uh, uh, Frank White, the county executive, said, well, man, we got to honor the science. This is not politics. Well, politics is always a factor in this. They didn't have the vote. And they certainly and they did have it. It was politics. You certainly had the Missouri Attorney General, Lisa, uh, threatening a lawsuit against the county if they move forward with this. We had cities from Blue Springs to Lee Summit, some elected leaders there saying, if we're not going to follow the mask mandate if this passes. So there were a lot of other considerations there, too. Um, while the Jackson County Legislature didn't say that the, the mask, the failure to, in, to implement a mask mandate was a direct result of these lawsuits being threatened by the Attorney General, certainly that has thrown things into the mix that has empowered smaller local governments also to say you know what we're not going to we're not going to follow your mask mandate and we've got the attorney general to to back us up on that it has just created chaos among health departments among school districts because when the attorney general you know there are critics that say he's not within his right to be sending all of these letters to school districts and local governments he you know he argues that the law is on his side but when the attorney general issues a letter, that is scary. That is something if you're a small town, if you're a small school district, you take seriously. The point that Lisa has made on uh, on this about um, the attorney general, Eric Schmidt in Missouri, who is running for the Senate and uh, said repeatedly during his campaign stumps that he's willing to sue Joe Biden every day, all day. Um, Lisa's point there uh, about a small town or a small school district confronting the uh, obvious willingness by the attorney general to sue them over over something like this no, mo without question has a chilling effect on uh, on them and he has demonstrated throughout this year that he'll drop a lawsuit on anybody at any time another big Kansas City company has disappeared 
Casey Southern, the city's 130-year-old railroad company, has now been officially swallowed up by a Canadian firm. In the last few days, Kansas City Southern shareholders overwhelmingly approved a $31 billion merger with Canadian Pacific. Remarkably, a headline story from our friends at KCUR News claims this is good news for Kansas City. How can that possibly be, Lisa? I will admit I may not have the proper amount of nostalgia for, for Kansas City Southern. <laughs> it's been a, a fixture for sport of Kansas City um, history and industry. For, for a very long time. But, but what we learned is that um, the new headquarters for the, for the combined railroads will remain in downtown Kansas City. So there is potential that this could have some job growth there. Not to mention the, the merger of the railroads does create the first transnational railroad. That is, I mean, for the in the grand scheme of things, when we talk about shipping and manufacturing, um, that, that there may be um, benefits there, but also for a, you know, there's possibility of, of passenger rail that, that may come along with this merger as well, including the, um, you know, a, a renewed uh, route from um, Kansas City to New Orleans. You know, the new name, by the way, of this company is going to be Canadian Pacific Kansas City Limited. That sounds like a, a bit of a mouthful. Yeah, and here, here's the thing is, uh, I think one of the the lesser known facts about Kansas City is that we are the second largest railroad hub in the United States, second only to Chicago. Uh, this merger will ratify that. Kevin. There are jobs in Minneapolis that uh, Canadian Pacific will probably move down here as part of this merger. So yes, I do think that the labor force will probably improve. Again, very sad Kansas City Southern major company spun off DST. I mean, it has been a huge part of the economy, particularly downtown. Nick, I'd also like to throw in just quickly, though, that the demise of Kansas City Southern is yet another example of how corporate headquarters in Kansas City continue to shrink, contract, and we are losing those companies uh, left, right, and center, this is another example of that sad story. With, with Casey Southern gone, is Cerner next? I'm seeing, Kevin, a number of stories mentioning Cerner as an acquisition target soon with Amazon, Google, Microsoft, all considered plausible buyers. What impact would that have on the city if that were to take place? Cerner's loss, again, from an employment point of view, would be you know horrific uh, unless somebody basically said we're going to keep everything here which we'll see what happens with the sprint deal and how many jobs are left there but as far as the civic leadership supplied by companies like hallmark kansas city southern uh h&r block cerner's never been in that ballpark and it's kind of a disappointing fact of our 21st century corporate world here in kansas city that the kinds of leaders that we had back in the late 20th century just haven't come from the Cerners and Garmins and other large firms uh, that, we, that we really benefited from as a city for so many years. When you put a program like this together every week, you can't get to every big story making the headlines. What was the big story we missed? After a week of tributes and memorial services, the body of Bob Dole makes its way to its final resting place at Arlington National Cemetery. Thousands left without power and cleanup now underway after a powerful windstorm whips through the metro. Missouri's marijuana law on trial, the state Supreme Court hearing arguments this week on a confidentiality clause that has allowed the state to conceal its criteria for awarding lucrative dispensary licenses. Losing applicants claim the state gave them away to political cronies. Top Kansas City Star sports columnist heading for the exits, Sam Mellinger, now the new head of communications for the Kansas City Royals. And Michael Mahoney taking retirement after 41 years at KMBC 9 News. 
He's still going to cover big political events, and even better for us, he's still going to be around to share his insights on this program. And are you ready for Kansas City to be in the Super Bowl? The Chiefs putting playoff tickets up for sale this week. Alrighty, Lisa, did you pick one of those stories or something completely different? Oh, there were a lot of good stories there. I, I actually picked um, a, a, the story that, that came up this week. A Jackson County jury awarded a $4 million settlement to a transgender student in Blue Springs um, who had been refused access to the boys' uh, restroom. It's thought to be one of the largest settlements for a transgender bathroom case. But I also I have to give a shout out to Mike Mahoney. I, I knew I was doing a good job in this town when I saw him at a St. Patrick's Day parade and he complimented my city hall coverage. <laughs> and so it'll be, um, I, it's congratulations to you, Michael, you. and uh, very happy to hear that you'll have more time and that you'll be here with us again. Dave. On a serious note, the Kansas City Council will uh, draw new uh, uh, districts uh, this week, and that's a huge, uh, a hugely important decision. The Northland has been very angry at the proposed map, which splits the Northland along Berry Road rather than along North Oak. We'll see how that happens. But let me also tip my cap to my good friend, Michael Mahoney, who is uh, going into semi-retirement. He is one of the greatest reporters in Kansas City history. There's just no question about that. He will be deeply missed. He's my friend. Don't hold that against him, Kansas City. <laughs> he, uh, again, good luck to Mike and uh, and good fortune ahead. If you can get somebody named Rodriguez to support the St. <laughs> Patrick's Day parade, you've performed a miracle. And Mike does that on a daily basis. Kevin Collison. <laughs> I also will salute my fellow Irishman, Mike Mahoney, a wonderful man, a great journalist in this town. Um, and on my little serious note, the Star had a story yesterday that really caught my attention about the fact that the KCPD say 630 guns were stolen from cars over the past year, a hundred of them in the Westport area. And it just absolutely encapsulizes the lunacy of A, people feeling they have to have a gun for their self-protection, B, sticking them in a car that's not secured, and C, criminals stealing those guns to go out and commit more crimes, which scares more people to buy more guns and keep them in their cars. And the final word goes to you, Michael Mahoney. Thank you very much for those kind words. Uh, probably not deserved. And on that, we will say our week has been reviewed. Thanks to Channel 9's Michael Mahoney, Lisa Rodriguez from KC1 News, Kevin Collison from City Scene KC, and Dave Helling of your Kansas City Star. And I'm Nick Haynes from all of us here at Kansas City PBS. Be well, keep calm, and carry on.